Welcome everyone to another episode of The Love Talks. I'm Dr. Estera Brilka and I'm a psychologist and love and relationship consultant. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about relationships, marriages, dating, love and other important life topics. You can follow The Love Talks on Anchor and other platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. How much do you know about endometriosis? Is this term something that you are familiar with or have you heard it now for the first time? As March is the Endometriosis Awareness Month, in this episode I have decided to shed more light on this chronic illness and share my story of being an endogirl. That's how we, women with endometriosis, call ourselves. Some of you may be surprised that this topic appears on the podcast that is about love and relationships. But there is nothing inappropriate in that. After all, endometriosis often heavily affects romantic and sex lives of those that have been diagnosed. And I do not mean only women. Endometriosis affects the whole relationship and family. Every one in 10 women of reproductive age in the UK, and this number may be very similar for other countries, is diagnosed with endometriosis. On average, it takes between 7 and 9 years to finally get the confirmation that the pain and other symptoms that you have had for years are not only a product of your imagination or a means to seek attention, as you may have been told earlier. Endometriosis is a chronic condition in which endometrial-like tissue is present outside of the uterus, most commonly in the abdomen, like on the ovaries or in the fallopian tubes, but not only. Endometriosis implants can be also situated on the rectouterine ligaments, in the cervix or vagina, and on or in the bladder, or less commonly, in the other parts of the urinary tract. There have also been some rare cases where the tissue similar to the lining of the womb was found in the parts of the body that are distant from the abdomen, for example in lungs or brain. Each case of endometriosis is unique, and the severity of symptoms, or symptoms as such for that matter, can vary among different women. While some women experience debilitating pain during their periods, and even between them, or difficulties getting pregnant and eventually are diagnosed as infertile, other women may not have any symptoms at all, or just very mild ones, every now and then. Typical symptoms of endometriosis that may start manifesting during puberty with the onset of the first period include painful and heavy periods, chronic pelvic pain that lasts between periods, back or leg pains, abnormal bleedings from the uterus between periods, painful bowel movements, painful urination and blood in urine, deep pain during sex, infertility, and chronic fatigue. Also, with the time passing and no diagnosis being given and treatment being introduced, 
Many women that suffer from endometriosis symptoms develop major depression. While the exact cause of endometriosis is unknown, it is assumed that there can be a genetic factor involved in its genesis. Women diagnosed with endometriosis very often have mothers, aunts or sisters who suffer from this condition as well. These days endometriosis can be treated and managed quite well, though so far it cannot be cured. If you suspect that you may have endometriosis, you should contact your doctor, either a GP or gynecologist, depending on the healthcare system that you have in your country, and they will decide about the next steps to take. Be persistent, however, as while the awareness about endometriosis is rising every year among medical professionals and lay people alike, there are still some doctors out there that tend to dismiss women with the endometriosis symptoms by telling them cliches such as periods are painful, get used to it, or your pain during period is normal, just take more painkillers next time. If this is what you are facing each time when you're talking to your doctor, make sure that you get a second opinion. I'm one of the women that were diagnosed with endometriosis. My story is not the most typical one, though, I must admit. It is also not that dramatic and heartbreaking as it can be for many other endosisters out there. Because my endometriosis has so far touched the woods, had mercy on me, I feel somehow obliged to be the voice of those women for whom talking about their battle with endo is just too much and feels like spreading salt over an open wound. I was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was 36. And as I have already said, it did not happen in any dramatic circumstances. I hadn't been unsuccessfully trying to get pregnant for years or did not end up in the accidents and emergency department in the urgent need of having a life-saving operation, as this is often how women learn that they have endometriosis. I got my preliminary diagnosis, as the only way to confirm endometriosis for sure is to have an operation, during a regular visit at my gynecologist, who I visit every six months or I did visit every half a year before the COVID hit and made it much more difficult. And on that day, when I heard that I may have endometriosis, I wasn't coming with anything serious, as I thought. It was just some period abnormality that I suspected to be due to a minor hormonal imbalance, maybe because of the chronic stress that I had been experiencing for quite a while back then. So with me, it was not like with many other women who go with their often unbearable symptoms from one doctor to another to finally heal endometriosis after having been silently attacked from inside by this treacherous illness for the average seven or more years. And in my case, I was diagnosed at such a relatively old age, not because of the delays due to a poor access to gynecological care or poor medical practice in general. As compared to many other countries, in which I live later on in my life, 
In my home country, Poland, I have always had a really good access to gynecologists, whether it was through the national healthcare system or private practice. In Poland, you do not need any referral to visit a gynecologist and if you feel that something is wrong, you have the right to book a visit with this specialist yourself and you get it relatively quickly. I don't know how it works now, but back then in the noughties, I never waited for more than two weeks and often it could have been arranged the same week if it was something urgent. I was diagnosed at 36 because only at that point of my life my endometriosis started to manifest itself in a way that got my gynecologist instantly alerted. But let's go back to the beginning of my story to show you the bigger picture. When I started having periods, just before my 12th birthday, it did not take too long for them to become quite painful. Though it wasn't always the case. Very often I could only feel quite a bad pain during a few hours of the whole period that typically lasted for about 6-7 to seven days. So not that alarming, really, right? Periods can be painful, that's a fact. So, feeling pain for a few hours during the seven days of menstruation is not such a big deal after all. Besides those few hours of pain, the rest of the period was usually unproblematic. But when the pain arrived, every second or third period, it was quite excruciating. No safe amount of over-the-counter painkillers was really helping, or it was taking a very long time like an hour or more, for these painkillers to kick in. An hour of such pain that I was many times close to passing out. My parents weren't overly concerned with my symptoms though. And when I was experiencing this really bad pain, I heard once or twice from my mom that periods aren't painful and that's how it is, get used to it. I have never had a good relationship with my parents, so I wasn't really surprised with such an attitude. Besides, going with a 13-year-old girl to a gynecologist at the beginning of the 90s in my country was, even for relatively progressive parents like mine, a bit too much. Gynecologists were for adult women, who were sexually active and were either pregnant or had other issues including vaginal infections or STDs. And let's face it, the quality of an ultrasound at that time, the early 90s, wasn't anything like we have today, even if there was anything in my abdomen at that time to suggest endometriosis. And most likely, there wasn't any tangible evidence of this condition at that time, as I got diagnosed with second-stage endometriosis more than 20 years later. Also, the knowledge about endometriosis among doctors at that time wasn't as good as it is today. So I stopped bothering anyone with what I was going through during some of my periods as I realized that I was in it all alone. When I was about 14, I heard of endometriosis for the first time. I remember reading my mom's woman's magazine and there it was an article about endometriosis and its symptoms. It sounded very much like what I was experiencing, but not everything matched completely. 
so I wasn't sure whether it was about my experience or not. But I remembered the name, endometriosis, as it could have been something to consider. In the next years, pain during periods became weaker. In my late teens, it looked that everything was going back to normal and that eventually my periods would not be a nuisance, except of some periods being excessively heavy. Heavy to that extent that I had to step out of the classroom during a 45-minute lesson to change a sanitary pad, in order not to have a red flood under my chair by the end of the lesson. But otherwise I was fine. And those heavy periods lasted for maybe half a year, and then all went back to the so-called normal. I didn't deviate from the period norm, so to say, any longer. When I turned 20, I started regularly, at least once a year, visit gynecologists for a regular checkup and having taken a smear test, as in my country it was recommended to have it taken once a year. I was also put on contraceptive pill for more than two years at that time, due to my rather serious problems with acne, but did not respond to a treatment that I previously received from a dermatologist. When I think of it now, I think it is very likely that the birth control pill masked endometriosis symptoms for a few years, and it could have been one of the reasons why I wasn't experiencing anything suspicious at that time. This way or another, I was very well taken care of in the feminine reproductive department, so to say, including having a couple of vaginal ultrasounds until I reached 30 years of age. There was nothing that could have suggested to the doctors back then that I had endometriosis. While in my late 20s, some periods again started to be painful in the way as they were when I was about 13 years old, this suddenly stopped after my 30th birthday. Since that time, I didn't even have to use painkillers during these days of the month, and my period was occurring regularly not only by the day, but by the hour. Even transcontinental flights and changes of the time zone a couple of times a year hadn't ever had disturbed this regularity. So I didn't think about endometriosis anymore. After all, everything was absolutely fine, nothing to complain about, and my gynecologist didn't see anything alarming going on. Until one day in September of 2015, a month before my 35th birthday. I was preparing for a job interview that I had in a few days in another country. I had to fly there for it, etc. The typical pre-COVID arrangements. And I got my period. It was about one week ahead of schedule, but as I had been quite stressed for months, dealing with other health issues, writing up my doctoral thesis and looking for a job, I thought that it was just because of the stress. That was quite plausible, after all. But after two days, I realized that this period was strange. It never really started for good and lasted for only three days with some minimal bleeding. Then it faded away. I got a bit concerned, but as I resided in Finland, and in a few days I had to fly to the UK for the job interview, 
I didn't have the time to fly to Poland to visit my regular doctor. So I just googled up the possible reasons for having such funny interregular bleeding between periods and for the peace of mind that I very much needed, I gravitated towards those less serious reasons, like some hormonal imbalance issue that can happen. My next period came on time and I thought that everything was back to normal. Then I flew to Poland and among other things there I visited my gynecologist. When I mentioned my recent funny period experience, I straight away was invited to have a vaginal ultrasound to see what was going on down there. And there it was. Quite a big cyst on my left ovary. Looking at my doctor, I immediately realized that it wasn't a good sign at all. While she mentioned that it could have been a cyst that had the potential to disappear with some hormonal treatment, my doctor did not really give me false hopes and said that she was almost sure that it was endometriosis. Though ovarian cancer was something that I heard that day too, as the worst case scenario. So here we go, endometriosis after all. After all those years, it finally made its coming out. And it also has brought a tremendous acne along the way, with which I had fought for more than half a year until my operation. To make a long story short, I ended up having an operation in February 2017, during which my left ovary was removed. As it was so destroyed by endometriosis cysts that grew on it, that it could have not been saved. So the ovary went with its fallopian tube. Luckily, nothing else than that. As my doctor thought from the very beginning, it was indeed only endometriosis, and therefore not ovarian cancer, which saved me from having a hysterectomy. It took me quite a few weeks to recover after my operation, I must say. I had a laparotomy, which means that I had my abdomen traditionally opened with a horizontal C-section-like cut. I don't know why it was done this way, but I guess there must have been reasons, as my doctor straight away back in 2015 told me that it would be a laparotomy, not a laparoscopy. And just to make it clear, the year and a bit that had passed between my preliminary diagnosis in November 2015 and my operation in February 2017 was only due to my personal circumstances. In the ideal world, it should have been done much earlier. But I was in the middle of me moving the countries, changing jobs, settling down, and organizing everything related to have my operation done in Poland by my doctor, as this was my natural choice, of course. So, after my operation, I was put on medication that induced menopause for half a year. For many women, this time is difficult as they experience a lot of symptoms that are typically normal to natural menopause. And also, the whole notion of being in a menopause in your 20s or 30s is just psychologically overwhelming. Also, some of the older medication that is still used for inducing menopause has a lot of other side effects, including, for example, permanently lowering the voice. 
For me, these six months were quite okay, as I was on the latest generation meds used for endo patients to induce the menopause. So I did not really experience a lot of the symptoms or side effects, except of some heat waves and bloating. Mentally, I was fine with that too. It was just a stage of the treatment that was supposed to make me feel better. After the menopause-inducing pills, I was put on a contraceptive pill for another two years, to make the risk of endometriosis striking again lower. Again, for me it wasn't a problem, as I was not planning to have children anymore at that time of my life. But I know that for many women, endometriosis treatment, whether it is done with a scalpel or with hormonal medication, is often difficult to accept, difficult to go through, and even more difficult to continue for as long as recommended. And that's all because they want to have children and removing the endometriosis-affected parts of the reproductive system is going to make this dream go away forever or make it much more difficult to achieve. Also, they are pretty often afraid of the side effects of some older medication used for inducing menopause. Or they are afraid of the side effects of birth control pills that are also used in endometriosis treatment, such side effects as, for example, blood clots. Endometriosis is not an easy illness to deal with. Although my endometriosis has thus far been quite merciful to me, if I can say that, you never know what is going on to happen and what the future is going to bring for you. Things can change without any warning one day, as it happened for me back then, in September 2015. There is always this uncertainty that we, and the women, live with. Especially now, when due to the coronavirus, I cannot easily fly to Poland to visit my doctor, have a scan, and know what is going on down there. Is it still alright, or is there something brewing? Endometriosis affects not only the body, but it does take a toll on mental health and well-being. For those women, or couples for that matter, that want children, knowing that this may no longer be possible can be extremely difficult to accept. On the day of my admission to hospital for my operation, I remember being in a room with three other women, two of whom had endometriosis. And while they already had one child each, as I could overhear from their conversations, Knowing that endometriosis did further damage to their ovaries and fallopian tubes, making another pregnancy impossible, at least in a natural way, made them cry. And that's understandable. While living with my second stage endo has been bearable, it doesn't mean that it has not changed my life. Since it started, even before I got my preliminary diagnosis in 2015, I started feeling less energetic than before. At that point, I attributed this lack of energy to my age. After all, when you are over 35, you may have less energy, or it can deplete quicker than when you are 25. However, at some point, I have realized that to some extent this can be due to endometriosis. I can't complain, though. While some endo women are so tired that they have to cease their careers, in my case, it is rather about not being able to work 10 or 12 hours a day on a regular basis. So, not too bad, really. 
The second thing that has changed in me after my diagnosis is my mindset. I have realized that health and well-being are more important than killing yourself while working for people that treat their employees as temporary feeding grounds. As someone that they can use for the purposes of their own career progression without giving them anything in return. Or as someone that they can steal their know-how from without paying for it appropriately. I have realized that working for people for a false promise of career progression makes no sense at this point of my life. Having a proper balance between your work life and personal life is more important. And self-care is more important. Chasing carrots that employers dangle in front of your eyes or tolerating sticks that they break on your back when dangling the carrots does not work anymore is not something that I anymore engage with. I have also learned how to set up healthy boundaries. I am not pleasing anyone anymore at my own expenses, whether it is in my professional or personal life. I've started to respect myself much more than before. I stopped giving things away to others for free. While I'm a generous person, there is a fine line between being generous and being taken advantage of. I don't do endless unpaid extra hours at work. Overtime is work, and it should be paid for. Plain and simple. I no more teach others specific skills that took me the years and the money to learn and perfect because my boss feels entitled to me sharing my know-how for free with their entire team, instead of sending these people on a very costly training. Someone else's entitlement is not my problem anymore. I don't consult clients for free, which is an oxymoron anyway, and I make it clear. I can't run my business on giving my knowledge and expertise for free to everyone that thinks that I owe them something. I'm not pleasing people in my life anymore, in any way. Especially men. That took me a while as we, women, are conditioned since the very early age to derive our self-worth from being accepted by men. A man doesn't like you? You don't have a husband? Oh, there must be something wrong with you. Well, maybe there is, but I feel completely fine with myself and here I am today. No pleasing. And last but not least, my endometriosis has taught me self-compassion. I am a perfectionist. Now less than before, but I still am. And that has also concerned my looks. I had always been fit and slim in my life, and I have never had issues with keeping my weight at a certain level without working hard for it. But my endo has changed that as well. The hormonal treatment that I was on for almost three years and the removal of one of my ovaries has made me bigger. Physically bigger. My hormones are not that well balanced as they were before the onset of endometriosis and that translates into my weight gain. Despite being assured that my remaining ovary will take over and make up for the one that is gone, it didn't really happen, as I feel. At the age of 40, I still periodically fight acne and my periods come as they want. So, occasionally, every now and then, I still need to go on a birth control pill for a while to get this sorted out. And I gain weight and then lose it. Recently, I only gain it. For some of you, it may sound funny that I even mention this. 
This is nothing comparing to, for instance, not being able to have kids, right? But for me, it is a problem. And it's not even about the looks. Not being able to fit in my clothes that I had bought maybe a year ago is a real nuisance. It is so impractical and it costs money. 15, 10 years ago, I would have been completely devastated with something like that. I would have cut the calories intake down, run to the gym and would avoid the mirror until I would get back into shape. But now I have become more self-compassionate with myself. Regardless of the perfection is inside me, I understand that this is how it's going to be now. No matter how healthy I eat, how small my portions are, or how much exercise I do. I will most likely never get to my shape from before my endodiagnosis. That's how it is. It is my endo. It is the price that I'm paying, but it is not the highest one. I have learned how to be nice to myself and do not expect wonders that I cannot make happen because of the circumstances that are not in my control. Why have I decided to share this all with you? I have done that because endometriosis needs more publicity and attention. It is not a rare condition as believed 20 or 30 years ago. One woman in 10 having endometriosis means that this illness is as prevalent as diabetes. Yet, it is not approached in the same way as diabetes. Because it affects only women, for many people out there it is not that important to talk about endometriosis. Menstrual health is still to a large extent a taboo topic even in the West. Not to mention other parts of the world in which menstruation is regarded as something dirty and polluting and definitely not regarded as a topic to be discussed even with the closest relatives. This needs to change. It will take the time, but every step that brings us closer to reaching this goal is important and should be considered a success. I am not a famous person. I am not a celebrity. My voice does not matter that much and it does not reach thousands. But I hope that my voice will nevertheless help make endometriosis a condition that is discussed openly one day and does not bring any shame or possibility of being ridiculed or condemned or any woman, wherever she lives in the world, for raising her concerns about her menstrual well-being. I wish for every and a woman to be able to receive such a good and prompt medical care that I had received. We, women suffering from endometriosis, deserve proper treatment and the understanding that our condition is real. It is not a thrill or something that we make up to seek attention. Also, I want to appeal to women to take the responsibility for their own health. It is often us who have to make the choice about where to get treatment and how to maximize our chances to make our lives easier, as recovering completely from endometriosis is not yet possible. Women that suspect endometriosis are often complaining for a limited access to state healthcare and that it takes ages to get diagnosed and then treated. And I understand this frustration. When you are paying your national insurance contributions, you expect that you get medical attention in a timely manner when you need it. But that's not always the case with the state-founded healthcare systems that are predominant in Europe. So consider what is better for you.
complaining and waiting endlessly why endometriosis is devastating your body, or to look for medical assistance outside of the state-founded healthcare system. I had to pay for my operation from my own pocket, but it was done in a public hospital. And that was because I was refused by the British National Insurance Institution, as I resided in the UK at that time and was insured there, to be paid for my operation being done in Poland. Although the EU law and regulations had nothing against such transfers between national healthcare systems between the member states. It was not cheap to pay it myself and I'm not a wealthy person. But I made this choice as I was sure that it was the best treatment that I could get at that time. For years, I also paid for visiting a private practice gynecologist at least once a year for exactly the same reasons. To provide the best care possible for myself. So don't wait until you get what you think you are entitled to get. But be proactive. Look for the best doctors that work with endometriosis patients and know how to preliminary diagnose this condition quickly and send you for treatment as soon as possible. If you are not happy with how your problem is handled by one doctor, look for another doctor that will treat you more seriously. The choice is always yours. Make it the best choice possible. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have enjoyed it, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter as AskAstera and on LinkedIn and Facebook as Dr. Astera Brylka. If you want to share your endometriosis story, I would be more than happy to listen. This episode is wrapping up the second season of The Love Talks. Thank you for all your support. Stay tuned for the next season coming later this spring. See you soon and bye for now.